about it early in the morning and simply said, no, this is not going to happen. So the LCBO put out a statement, actually so did Bethlen Falvey, but uh, saying, okay, okay, we've changed our minds. But what a ridiculous idea. I get it, they've got to come up with stop loss measures because mostly this is about shoplifting. But the idea that you would have to present ID and be scanned one at a time in order to go into a government controlled liquor store, which is a monopoly, just, you know, absolutely not. 7.22 is the time, and uh, through access to information, they've obtained a memo at CSIS where CSIS evaluates the freedom movement and decides whether or not it's a threat to national security. The freedom movement, I mean, it's kind of hard to define, and that's actually the name of this particular paper. It's called Defining the Freedom Movement at CSIS. Um, but generally, it came together, mostly over the internet, I think, as a result of the convoy protests in Ottawa. The problem is there is a small cohort within this movement that really has some issues and could be a threat. Barbara Perry joins us right now for some perspective, director of the Center on Hate, Bias and Extremism at Ontario Tech University. Professor, nice to have you. Good morning, John. I gave a loose description of the freedom movement, but I wonder if based on this CSIS memo, you can kind of give a more detailed description. Yeah, well, it's it's something that we've sort of been following, and I think that many people will have become aware of the morphing of the movement, probably with the Million Moms March in the fall, where we were seeing um, sort of anti-queer initiatives. So it's really uh, a movement that is characterized by a set of grievances, and they're pretty broad, but I think one of the sort of key threads that ties them together is probably this notion of government uh, overreach. We heard a lot of that during the, the convoys, right, that the, the government, federal government in particular, was tyrannical, and that's really at the heart, right? So they're, they're um, really resistant to government um, regulation, really, of almost any sort that doesn't benefit them. Um, and also then that emphasis, and here's where the freedom piece comes from, that emphasis on the protection of, uh, of personal freedoms. Uh, and again, it's those freedoms that this tyrannical state is said to be uh, stepping on. Of course, it doesn't help that the government invoked the Emergencies Act and froze people's bank accounts. It kind of feeds that notion. Yeah, that was certainly something that uh, I think was, um, I, I wouldn't say a catalyst uh, by any by any means, but it was, uh, I think, seen as redemption uh, to them that uh, they could say they could point at that and say, see, uh, we told you this would happen. There's a certain feverish um, concentration on certain issues. I even had a caller yesterday who started whinging on about the World Economic Forum. There is this notion of overweening control, of a conspiracy to steal everything from people. Yeah, and, and WEF has become one of those uh, focal points. You hear a lot of talk about, you know, we should withdraw from, uh, you know, any conversations with world uh, with WEF. We should not be a part of that. Uh, and it's it's part of a broader um, perceived threat posed by globalization, uh, rather than recognizing it as a way to manage global problems. They see it, in fact, as um, you know what what they refer to and and others are referred to in a different context as the 
great reset. So some attempt, some conspiracy afoot uh, to garner control over massive elements of the population. To what ends, it's not entirely clear. Well, and I've been studying this stuff for years, actually. Another preoccupation is the 15-minute city. And, you know, that it was an idea. We should try and build cities so that you could live somewhere and get to everywhere you want within 15 minutes. But that has been turned by this movement into the idea that we're all going to be penned in and forbidden to leave a certain distance from where we live. Yeah, that's a favorite trope, that dystopian future presented by the 15 minute, when in fact, yeah, exactly as you say, it was intended to um, promote, uh, you know, sort of um, more intimate spaces, if you will. Uh, and I think a lot of that, a lot of the emphasis is coming out of the environmental movement so that people wouldn't have to drive long distances, wouldn't have to drive to the mall. Uh, so to speak, to uh, to to buy their groceries or or whatever, um, but that notion has been taken as as you say uh, an effort to uh, completely restrict mobility. People will have to live within these boundaries and borders so that they're more easily under surveillance. So we can control every movement, uh, and we can control where they buy their goods, where they uh, you know uh, engage their services. Um, so really, a distortion of what is otherwise, I think, a, you know, a really promising idea. It's Sort of goes back to that you know the high street uh, that is so common in uh, UK cities uh, and towns for generations. Okay, so what conclusions did CSIS draw about what kind of a relative, if any, threat these people pose? Well, I, th I think that, you know, they, the reason they're watching is because there is some risk of an escalation to violence, especially in the context of large events, you know, should something like the convoys uh, occur again. But I think in the short term, uh, they really don't see any immediate threat. Uh, again, if there's um, some sort of trigger event or, uh, you know, come you know, the maybe not the U.S. election, but come the next Canadian election, uh, you know, there, there might be a possibility for violence there. Uh, but I think uh, in the short term, they're, they're, they're worried about the extremism, obviously, uh, but not the violent extremism, I think. Thanks for this. Nice to have you this morning. Good to talk to you. Barbara Perry is at Ontario Tech University. So every other Wednesday, Jerry Agar talks with Sean Shapiro, the TikTok traffic cop, and you'd think after a while we'd run out of questions, but I haven't. Uh, a couple of weeks in a row now, I've had a question for Sean Shapiro. And so here's the segment from yesterday's show. Traffic officers do appointed patrols. Do they go to the same spot at the same time every day? Uh, there are sometimes uh, events that are issued by a division or by uh, command to say, we've got a problem here, we need to spend some extra time. But generally speaking, we're in divisions. Uh, we're assigned to areas. Uh, it, in Vision Zero, we announce where we're going every day. We have different divisions where we focus our efforts uh, based on data. Uh, but ge generally, we have the run of the city, uh, depending on the, the, the unit we're assigned to. So Motor Squad could be anywhere. Uh, you know, our Vision Zero is going to be in specific pockets. And then we have, again, uh, tr traffic officers who, who hang out in certain areas waiting for a call and doing enforcement in the meantime. And those are the officers. I encounter officers of both kinds, actually, because on our street, you're not allowed to park overnight. And so the officers go by early in the morning and start ticketing cars that don't have the permits. But then also I have traffic enforcement on speed dial because of this issue where people park across my uh, driveway and often become quite indignant when I ask them to leave. And it's like, well, I had a medical appointment. I don't care. 
Although once, I was telling Jerry this story the other day, there was one time, there's a lot of construction on my street. I mean, there have to be, at any given time, one or two houses under construction. 